If you are loving the Quilter on Fire podcast because it is all about the story, do I have an episode for you. Today, I'm talking to the organization that created Quilters Save Our Stories. And that's not all. They're up to so much more. Today, I'll have a chat with Amy Milne, the Executive Director of the Quilt Alliance. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories, the connections, and the joy of guests in the quilting world. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. My guest today is Amy Milne. She is the Executive Director of the Quilt Alliance. This organization cares so much about quilts, I don't even know where to start. They have documented tens of thousands of quilts, recorded 1,500 stories, and made millions of quilters happy by saving and sharing this information. So let's explore the story of the Quilt Alliance with Amy Milne. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. It's great to be on with you. This is going to be such a great conversation. I'm so excited about talking about the history of quilts and how we capture that and everything that you do with this wonderful organization. But I want to start off with a little bit about you. So let's take a little look back at where you got started in this organization. What's the story around that? Sure. So I started with the Quilt Alliance in 2006, and I had been working for an after-school art and design program for teenagers in Durham, North Carolina, called Seesaw Studio. And that was a real joy, but it was quite involved emotionally, physically, everything mentally uh, with teenagers, uh, many of them sort of in the at-risk category. And I had my own small children at that time. And I was looking for something closer to where my parents live here in the foothills of North Carolina. And the job with the Quilt Alliance was posted. And I thought, boy, that hits so many things for me. I'm interested in history. Of course, I'm interested in textiles. That was my undergraduate and my master's was in uh, fine art, studio art. And I worked a lot with fibers then. But also just the idea of quilts and the endless permutations of not only quilts, but stories. And so I applied and got the job and we moved to Asheville from Durham. And I have never looked back. It's been an incredible, let's see, what is that? Um, 19 years, 18 years. I have have to do the math, but it is such a joy to do the work that I do with the community that I work with and my all my colleagues. Yeah, and it's obviously a perfect fit for you with your history and textiles and your love for the craft. So let's take a look back at how the Quilt Alliance got started. So what's the story about the founders? Right. So in before 1993, but that's when the Alliance was founded and it was founded as the Alliance for American Quilts. So the Alliance for American Quilts, so quite different name. We've now since shortened it in 2012 to Quilt Alliance. Um, But the idea came from four founders, Carrie Bresnahan, Nancy O'Brien Puentes of Quilts, Inc., the two founders and operators of Quilts, Inc., and Eunice Ray and Shelley Ziegert of the Kentucky Quilt Project. 
And what they came together in response to was a controversy involving the Smithsonian selling quilts in their gift shop that were not made in America. And there was quite a backlash when this came out. And, you know, um, this group of women, in addition to other colleagues, said, well, for heaven's sake, there are plenty of quilts that are made here. Quilting, it really you know, has such a great origin story in the U.S., but there's no reason the Smithsonian needs to be selling quilts from elsewhere. And I think that that was one of the sparks, but also the main uh, sort of use for the for putting together the alliance or the main passion behind it was that the Kentucky Quilt Project was the first, but there were many states who were doing these documentation projects putting out a call for quilt owners, quilt makers to document the quilts in their homes. Um, and that was really spread like wildfire. And there was this resurgence of interesting quilts after the bicentennial. So that had been building. A lot of quilts had been made during that time when there was this sort of look back and, and um, you know, fondness and sentimentality towards quilts in that era. Post, post 1976. And so all of these records were around in garages, in um, arts council offices, um, and there was no place to put them so that everyone could take advantage of, so that they could be shared. And the idea of a quilt museum took, took shape. And they thought about having the Quilt Museum on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., but then I think they sort of wisely <clears throat> rethought that vision as an online center because of, you know, more people could access it. It's just more accessible. And so the project started with Boxes Under the Bed, which was a quilt ephemera project to uh, record, document, and share and archive the patterns, the letters from quilt makers, the newspaper articles when you used to get patterns through the newspaper. And the quilt index uh, shortly took shape, which was the repository project that's still going and thriving, uh, run by now run by our colleagues at Michigan State University. Wonderful project. And uh, Quilters SOS, Save Our Stories. So these were all different projects created to address the same problem, which is quilts can't talk. Mm -hmm. And quilters, uh, quilts often outlive their makers. And that's something you'll hear me say over and over. It really is the fuel and the problem that we're trying to um, address with our projects. So these incredibly visionary women who deserve so much credit for seeing how this could play out um, are no longer involved with the Quilt Alliance, but their legacy is just profound. And uh, we all owe them a lot of a lot of credit and a lot of thanks. Yeah, it's so great to see that this organization exists because these women had the forethought or, you know, the forward thinking to be able yeah. to 
document, organize, and share. Like not just keep track of things or find out what's out there, but they wanted to organize it in a way that's shareable for people in the future to come back and take a look at it, right? So it was very um, future oriented and uh, very wise technologically too to have the wisdom to think to and and to see the writing on the wall to say, oh, this really needs to be virtual. Yeah. So how has the organization changed over time? I know you mentioned that there was a name change. Right. So I've been involved since 2006. The organization was founded in 1993. This is our 30th year. So we've seen a lot of change and I've seen almost um, 20 years of that, actually 20 years of that, right? Almost. And um, for one thing, the projects and our participation in some of the projects, as I mentioned, the quilt index is no longer something we're actively involved in. And we have had phases, you know, like the current generation says that they're in certain eras. Well, we have been in different eras, our collecting era, uh, you know, our building the projects, infrastructure era, and now we're back to collecting. So the work behind the scenes to manage an oral history collection, for instance, is pretty uh, deep. There is a lot of work that has to be done. You know, you archive and manage your collection of podcast recordings and all of the indexing that goes on behind that. It's not just the recording, it's the text about the recording. And that's where all the searchable content is, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's a quite a big job. And I think that how we have you know, to to turn towards technology specifically, how we have not only um, produced the projects, but managed it. Take Quilters SOS, for instance. It was started in 1999. Um, is that right? Yes. So this will be the 25th anniversary this year of the QSOS project. Of course, it started with cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. And those tapes were very vulnerable of disappearing, of degrading. So we worked with the um, Nunn Center, the Louis B. Nunn Center for Oral History at the University of Kentucky in the last five years to digitize all of those tapes so that the cassettes that are uh, our other partner is the Library of Congress, the American Folklife Center. They hold this collection. We are very lucky and honored to have that collection there. But, oh, it's so scary to think about, you know, those um, recordings going away or being damaged. So yeah. um, it has taken a village of partners and a lot of expertise in when it's time to move to the next technology over the years. So that's been a change. QSOS is now ready to relaunch uh in a in a sense it's it's not ever unlaunched but it's the new way of participating in that project is about to become available to the public which will be to record digitally we were talking before we came on about using zoom as a tool to record um i think so project wise technological changes have happened our identity has changed. We had a new logo. We presented, we shortened our name to what had always been our nickname, which was Quilt Alliance uh, in 2012 and started using a new logo. And that logo is sort of a circle spoke of quilts as if you took a laundry line of quilts and pulled it into a circle because we do feel like it is 
all the quilt community is invited to participate in this conversation and in this important act of documenting and preserving. So that logo is also, it was important that it be flexible. We sort of use slip covers graphically to change it for different projects so that people know when they see Quilters Take Manhattan, which became Quilters Take a Moment, we'll talk about. It uses that same logo or a riff on that logo. So one of the things that we've had to do over time is is explain what we do and try to simplify it without diluting it, you know, mm. because it's such an important um, mission, but it's there are a lot of different projects and a lot of different ways that people can document their quilts. But I think that the other thing, the last thing I'll say about how we've changed is just how we deliver content and how we collect content. Mm -hmm. Not only are we recording digitally, but we're producing and delivering content uh, through Zoom. And we were doing that, thankfully, prior to the pandemic. We were already using the technology, but it's really been amazing to be able to speak to our audience and hear from our audience in this way. So having yeah. this new forum is is really been a game changer. Yeah. And so you've been deeply involved in the Quilt Alliance as the executive director for almost 20 years. So what is your role as an executive director kind of compared to what's the role of the board of directors? Right. So I am carrying out the mission. Um, my job is to carry out the mission, manage staff, my wonderful staff of two colleagues, um, Emma Parker and Deb Josephs, but also to manage our partnerships, to present information to the board about potential projects, potential partnerships, um, and give them a good uh, snapshot financially, project-wise. We meet um, monthly via Zoom. We start out our meeting with a share a quilt, share an experience, share what you're doing so that we all can stay in touch because we used to meet in person and we would try to look at quilts each time. So we would meet a couple times a year. We would always have quilts because we, you know, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And it was special. So we've tried to carry that over into our uh, board meetings. But the board's role is really to... Uh, be responsible for the mission, to be uh, ensure that the mission is carried out in a way that is in line with our bylaws, in line with our common vision that we revisit uh, periodically, but also to use their, uh, not only their mouthpiece, but their experience and their partnerships and their relationships to further um, our mission and our projects. And we have an incredible board. We we have historically had an incredible group of um, people on our board. And I look forward to our meetings each month just to hear what people are doing, but also to be able to hear a different opinion and, and hear it, um, you know, see things through their eyes. So Board of directors are very important to nonprofits. Really, it's an unusual structure in a way because your boss, your bosses are volunteers. Mm -hmm. 
So it's an interesting dynamic. If you've never worked for a nonprofit, that might seem really strange, but it works well. And we have two, and this is not the first time we've had, but we have two um, co-presidents of our board, um, Laura Hopper and Bradley Mitchell, and they both sort of cover different um, sort of responsibilities, but um, we, we have a great dynamic. Yeah, that sounds really good. And so you mentioned that you have a staff team of two. So Mm -hmm. what are their roles? And also let's give a little shout out to volunteers and how they're involved. Yes. Yes. We have an incredible um, team that includes two part-time colleagues. Uh, Emma Parker is our project manager and Deborah Josephs is our office manager. And she does a lot of different things uh, related to membership and Um, does help with some project tasks. But our volunteers have done things from when we did in-person events, and we have still done some in-person events over the past year, being that person to help hold up a quilt, uh, clip and unclip microphones, things like that. So they're very hands-on tasks. But this past year, we have had a really strong team of volunteers doing transcript moving transcripts around from our old database to our new very um simple computer tasks but critical to moving the project fully to its new website and that's an ongoing opportunity to if you're someone who likes to read about read interviews with quilters And maybe you've had some experience doing indexing, which is what we talked about, which is taking sort of summaries of an interview or an episode, podcast episode. It also works with summarizing, pulling out keywords. We've got a job for you. Um, And I would direct you to talk to my colleague, Emma, but, but volunteers have really been important to the history of this organization and to the future. So as an organization, how do you get your message out to the world? You, I, I know that I've seen you at a few shows. Yeah. So where will we find you out there? Yes, at shows for sure. We'll be at QuiltCon. Um, we'll be with Brandy in the Aliso story space. Um, we're looking forward to that. We're going to be, we're going to put the sign up sheet. We'll give you that URL soon for anyone who would like to do an interview while you're at QuiltCon. We go to Quilt Festival typically and other shows. We have community um, quilt days, which is some, a series that we started two years ago. And those are very specific events in specific communities. Sometimes that community is not a community of place, but a community of shared affinity or um, uh, another sister organization that we're doing Uh, holding a community quilt day, but those are opportunities to do interviews so that um, uh, we can talk about that a little bit more. But the other way that we get out our message is really via social media and YouTube. The entire collection of the Go Tell It at the the quilt show, we shorten it to Go Tell It, uh, video project is on our YouTube channel. So it's something like 742 or something uh, videos now. And those are the short three minute or less. Tell me about your quilt. And it doesn't have to be a quilt you made, could be a quilt you own. And those videos are shared that way. We use social media to sort of point to that content and to engage people. But the thing about our social media too, is that 
it's given us an opportunity to reach new audiences. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the brand Landon Speaks, the TikTok channel. He talks about Southern culture. And he did an episode on quilts recently. He was in the New York Times. He's just blown up. And when he did this post on quilts, I put something on there about, oh, these are su such great stories. Please uh, look into our project and record a video for us. And he very kindly pinned that comment to the top of the thread. And, you know, it's those kinds of um, interactions and connections that make social media such a great tool for us. So when we can speak to the greater, the, the audience beyond the quilt community, because you probably know just as, just as well as anyone, you can be sitting in a, an airport bus station whatever. And if you have something in your hand that you're quilting, people just are attracted to it like a magnet. And they, yeah. of course, want to tell you about their quilts. So it's kind of like that. Social media is like that. And we have a podcast as well, Running Stitch, a QSOS podcast. So that's also a project that refers back to our collection. Uh, it's hosted by Yannickin Smucker, who just put out a new book, and she is an incredible interviewer. And also she uses every um, podcast episode to refer back to the QSOS collection. She uses clips. She re-interviews people. So that's how we connect. Yeah. Well, I love that you're getting yourself out there in all the modern ways. And we're talking about history. We're talking about documenting things from the past, preserving them and sharing them with the future. This is what the whole conversation is about today. So I want to dive a little bit into the website for Quilt Alliance. Yeah. So in, can you sort of give us an overview of what we'll find when we go to the website? Yeah, for sure. So the Website is a great place to start. It gives you, you can look at sort of the mission, the history, focus in on who our partners are. That's how I always, uh, and that's one of the first things that I look at when I go to a, an organization's website is who are they working with? How broad are they? Is their partner community? Um, what are, who, who are their members? You know, why would I want to be a member? And of course, you can find all that information there, but also you can dig into our projects. There are links there to all of our collections. Uh, the QSOS project has its own website, which is, um, you know, represented on the larger website, but it's a great place to get the taste of each of the projects. You know, QSOS, which is a longer format oral history project, um, those interviews are 30 to 40 minutes. So that is something that had previously been just um, transcripts that you could read online. But now they also have the sound uh, so you can listen to those interviews. So that's something new. But also on our website, you can find uh events past events you can see what we've done in the past we we like to keep our archives up you can also find out about things like national quilting day we're a co-sponsor of that event with the national quilt museum but also there's just a lot of how-to info there brandy like you can uh get a link to the go tell it um, do-it-yourself project where you can upload your own Go Tell It video. This is pure grassroots stuff. We put all the information out there about how to do it. 
There's also a section on just documenting your quilt more broadly, labeling, Mm -hmm. how to label, best things to include. Um, So there's quite a bit of how uh, resources and um, you can also access um, past projects that are archived that we don't, you know, that we um, are no longer sponsoring, but, or no longer adding to, I, I would say it's a nice snapshot of our history as well as a, working website. Yeah. So if people are listening right now, they can go to quiltalliance.org to see this website. And also you have a whole area on the website for donate, join, support, and a member login. So tell us what's involved in being a member. Yes. Membership is very simply a way to support, but also take some very specific members only content, take advantage of it. And um, anyone can be a member for as little as $30 a year. You can also, of course, make a one-time donation or a serial donation. Um, There are a lot of ways to support us. We have group organizational uh, memberships as well. A guild, a group, another nonprofit can join for $200 a year. And this year, we're making some significant changes in our membership. Um, This past year, in 2023, we added a block of the month project, and people loved it. It was so fun. And we had nine different designers who donated their time to create, design a block. And also, we used that monthly communication with our members to include documentation we'd done about those designers. So it was really great. There was a great response to that. That was the um, passion project of a board member, Laura Hopper, incredible co-president. She put so much time and love into that with my colleague, Emma Parker, supporting her and uh helping make it happen. But this year we've decided to build on that and issue a series of challenges to our members that then we'll sort of convene via Zoom and talk about. But also this year we're rolling in a new benefit, which is the Quilters Take a Moment virtual event that we've done every year since 2020 made Quilters Take Manhattan impossible. So we've done it virtually since then. Uh, We're going to make that a member benefit. So that will be free of charge to all our members. Um, We're working with our guild members to allow them to also have individual access, those um, folks who are members of those uh, individual guilds. But it really does give back. But most importantly, it's a way to say, I agree. Quilts are historical documents. They are so important. We all, as a community, need to come together and make sure that the opportunity doesn't close to document quilts before they fade away. So if a quilter's listening right now and they're thinking, gee, this sounds like a really great organization for me to get involved in, they can connect with you through the website to become a volunteer. They can become a member. They can also make a donation. So if money is raised through donations and things like that, where, where does that money go? Yeah, that goes to operating. That goes to fuel. We have a very small staff for what we do. I'm the only full-time employee. so And we don't have a physical location other than a storage unit. So we all work remotely. So we keep our expenses very tight and lean. And honestly, our membership goes to pay for the operations of the organization. 
And interwoven in that is the project. So without the organization, there are no projects. So when someone gives a $30 donation or, or joins for $30, that goes directly into the fuel for operating this organization. And I think you can know, rest assured, that it is being well spent and that we are being very prudent with your investment and using our funds wisely. Yeah, absolutely. So the Quilt Alliance has a monthly newsletter to members and then another email to non-members. So what kind of things will we see there? So in the uh, newsletter, both newsletters, we profile um, interviews that have just been completed. So we talk a little bit about textile talks, of which we're one of the founding members and still one of the partners in the Textile Talks series. It's a free series to anyone supported very generously by our industry partners. And it's Wednesday. It's every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can find the info on our website, SACWA's website, Surface Design Association, and International Quilt Museum. And honestly, we've used Textile Talks to really highlight our project. So that's also in there. Uh, What are the interviews that were done via Textile Talks or the Running Stitch podcast, what's coming up? We often take uh, a dive into the collection and pull out interviews. The QSOS collection has over 1,200 interviews, and this may be a way for you to hear their voice again. We consider ourselves uh, a humanities, an arts organization. Um, We are broader than just quilting because really it's about our love and our connection for that object. Well, and speaking of documenting these messages and stories, if there was one message you could put in stone and push out to the quilting world, what would it be? It's got to be that message of, you know, quilts are historical documents. They are so important. They contain so many interesting and important aspects of our lives as as an individual, as a family, as a community, as a culture, and they almost always outlive their makers. Mm -hmm. So if they're not documented, if there is not a voiceover of some kind about that object, then it just goes off in the world on its own, solo and quiet. And that's what I would like people to remember Yeah. So when you're talking to quilters at events like QuiltCon and Houston Quilt Festival, what's the feedback you're getting face-to-face? Well, an all-too-common and sad feedback is that my family doesn't want my quilts. What do I do with them? For me, that's like, oh my goodness, that's sad. But it's reality and people are concerned about it. And as we age, we think about those things. What's going to happen to the objects in our closet, under our bed, on our bed? And um, we have good ideas. You know, we have good ideas that we've called from our partners and people that really know about these things. I mean, museums, it costs a museum money to accept a donation. That's a weird concept, but they've got to make sure that they can preserve it and keep it from mildewing and keep it in a building. And there's all kinds of costs. So it's unrealistic to think that there are places for all these quilts if family don't want them. But I think, you know, what we also say is that, have you talked to your family about them? 
Do your quilts have labels on them? Not only the quilts that you make, but the quilts that you own, that you've received from other family, friends, or that you've bought at a thrift store, a yard sale, whatever. Something happens often, I won't say always, but often when something is labeled that gets attention. It's like, oh, it's like a sign that it's valuable. Yeah, It's a sign that it's important. And so there's another reason to label, not just to make sure that history gets carried down, but that that history gets attention and like the value of that object may be as affected. The perception of the value of that object is changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so honored to have a numerous quilts from my great grandmother. I value them so much, but the only reason I have them right now is because 15 years ago, I reached out to my family to say, hey, I know that she was a quilter. I know that I have my own personal quilts from her, but what are the other quilts that exist in our family? And they all came pouring into me like, yeah, you can have them. <laughs> I was like, what? what a great reminder and thing to do. I love that. I'm going to share that. I think that's often what happens too, is people say, well, I have uh, a bunch of quilts, family quilts that I don't I net they're not labeled. I don't know anything about them. And we have a whole episode. We did a whole textile talk on how do you label anonymous quilts? Yeah. So anybody can find that on our YouTube channel. Uh, there's a textile talk playlist. And we had uh, members of the six know-it-alls, the group of quilt historians that are amazing. Look yeah. that up, folks, six know-it-alls. And they talked about, well, what you can put on the quilt if it's, you know, on the label, if it's anonymous you can find out this and that, but I think it's so important. And what you did was really proactive. And I've been corrected on on occasion when I've spoken about quilts and the importance of labeling family quilts. And the person said afterwards, so kindly and gently, you know, I'm not close to my family. I don't have children. I won't pass down family quilts. And she said, make sure that your messaging includes people like me. And I was so, so glad that she felt like she could tell me that. And she did tell me that because it stayed with me. And I thought that's something that, you know, we do have to think about where those quilts go. And our friends are just maybe (laughs) as deserving and maybe even more interested in receiving our quilts than maybe some family members. Yeah. And these quilts I collected from my family were generally unlabeled, not named, but once in a while, her last name would be on there with the year, but always there were deep, rich stories in them. Like she, you know, she painted on them and she had flowers of the provinces that her friends lived in and she had all her neighbors in the building she lived in and their favorite things on these quilts. And I actually ended up curating a show in Manitoba, inviting quilters to bring historical quilts from their family of members of their family who are past. And we had a wonderful show and a craft sale to go with it. And it was a really wonderful event. Yeah, it's so important in that this quilt here behind me is my daughter's baby quilt that I borrowed. And um, she, I was making a video about it. A go tell it about it on National Quilting Day a couple of years ago as an example. And she walked in as I was recording it. And afterwards, she she was very quiet. And then afterwards, she said, that's my quilt. <laughs> she <laughs> didn't a- know that was her baby quilt. I had been keeping it from her by loving it in my office. Right. So let's talk about community. Community is huge for the Quilt Alliance. So tell me why. 
because the mission of the Quilt Alliance is to document all quilts and all quilt makers. And the quilting community is so diverse and so broad and so interesting. And there's so much variety in not only the quilts, but the makers and how we interact in our community. And I think there's a sense because the guild structure is such an old model in the in the arts and crafts, right? And we're so lucky to still have that model, but it's not the only model, right? And there's yeah. some people who just aren't joiners. They just aren't joiners for cultural reasons, for you know, reasons of history. There are a lot of good reasons that people have and and it's individual preference. So I think our sense of community has got to adapt to that reality and be inclusive. And we're always learning new ways to uh, conceive of our community and connect with our community. Because I think it's changing so rapidly. Our world is it just when you think about the changes that have taken place just in the last, oh, my gosh, year. And, you know, with technology. So we, we feel like it is our privilege, but our responsibility to constantly relearn how to connect with the community and what the what the community is asking for. I mean, I think that because of that fact, just that truth that not everybody wants to be a joiner and some people feel more comfortable in their groups that they share an affinity for. And I think that that's another thing that not just our organization, but our whole community has got to learn about and become more sensitive to. So our Community Quilt Days series started out as a way to fill in the QSOS Oral History Project with people that were underrepresented in the original project, Black quilters, Native American, Indigenous quilters, whose voices are not included in the project in the way that we like them to be. And we like to make sure that they know about the project. Well, it's one thing to invite everyone to record their story and be, you know, included in the project. And it's another thing to hear from them if if and how they would like to include their story in the project. So the Community Quilt Days project started out to be practical in central Appalachia because that's where we are. So we started it as an in-person on-site day where we went to sites in Western North Carolina Eastern uh, Kentucky and Eastern Tennessee. We did that last year. We recorded videos. We looked at quilts. We had cookies together and coffee. We really just used it as a way to present and demo our projects, but also see the quilts and talk about the quilts that are from that area. And I think that that's when we're doing our best work when we are simply being sort of a conduit to the projects and the resources and making sure that access is there. And, you know, our mission is to document, preserve, and share, but really our mission is to enable and create opportunities for others to document, preserve, and share. You know, um, yeah. that's the power of a grassroots project when it's done properly is that you know, you kind of seek out and hear from the community what they want and how they want to participate. Yeah. And that's what we learned from the in-person events were that 
okay, those are that's great for a regional area, you know, an on-site experience. But how do we serve the uh, African American quilt community or the Native American quilt community? It's not necessarily going to be the same for any one group, and especially an affinity group that you know has their own structure, their own organizations. And so we have grant funding from the National Endowment for the Arts to continue this project with larger affinity-based groups. And that's going to teach us a lot about how to be most useful. And for instance, with the Native American quilters, we will be preparing the equipment and the training for them to implement. Susan Hudson, who is part of the Navajo Quilters, will be the lead artist on that project. And she will help advise the best way for her community to feel empowered and to uh, use the resources in a way that works for them, but, you know, contributes their story and adds their story to the project. And it's a learning process that only works when the expertise, like Susan's expertise, like Dr. Carolyn Maslumi, who's on our board, who founded the Women of Color Quilters Network, it only, we only grow when they, um, you know, are generous with their time as they both have been to help guide us in the best way to be of service to other organizations. So we can't approach it the same for every organization, but we do think that the most valuable asset we have and, and the thing that we are so committed to safeguarding and maintaining is these collections, but they're only as valuable as how accurately they reflect our community and the diversity of our community is a key part of that. Yeah. So it's, you know, we have a long way to go, but I think with the help of these resource people, we're headed in the right direction and we've got some good grant funding, both through the NEA, North Carolina Arts Council, South Arts Foundation, and some very generous individual donors and grantors as well. But individual members who make a $30 contribution are just as important as those big granting organizations because, as I said, they're that center of our mission who really, really believe in the importance of doing this. Yeah. Donations at every level are so important. But let's talk about some of those big supporters you mentioned. Who's involved? Yeah. At the foundation level, we also are supported by the Robert and Artist James Foundation. They're supporting our QSOS project initiatives and also the Running Stitch podcast. Our board members are extremely generous. Mark Dunn has a private family foundation. Mark Dunn is the founder and president of Moda Fabrics and United Notions. Mark has been on the board and we just keep renewing his board membership because he is not only a major funder of the Quilt Alliance, but of so many, almost every nonprofit in our community, Mark Dunn has supported. He is incredibly generous, but Mark Dunn also calls me if he's going to have to miss a board meeting to get an update, you know, or says, what do you need for this project? Are you, do you need anything? Are we, when are we going to meet? He's so hands-on. And I can say that about 
you know, the rest of our board as well. They're each of them are involved in projects, and many of them are generous financial donors as well. We have found that for a lot of years, we did not look locally for support. We did not look in our own home state. But then we realized, you know, that's just practical that um, it just makes good sense to do some of the work in pilot format, especially in North Carolina, because that's where we all are. Yeah. And we can save money by doing things that way. So the North Carolina Arts Council really took a leap of faith with us, I think, to say, yes, this is a national organization, but it has all kinds of benefits for North Carolina. Yeah. And quilting is huge in North Carolina. When Quilt Folk Magazine did our NC issue, they were overwhelmed with the amount of stories that they could cover in North Carolina. And we, I'm sure wish they had a part two. But um, we also get incredible support from the corporate community. Um, Moda Fabrics is at the top of that list. Arafil, such a big uh, supporter of our work for so long. And honestly, at the top of that list is also a sister nonprofit, Modern Quilt Guild. I call them sister organizations just because the leaders are all women. And I guess I just default to that. But of course, it's not just women, but those organizations, we are so supportive of each other. In fact, the executive directors of all the partners in the uh, Textile Talk series and the Modern Quilt Guild, we meet monthly to talk. And I think that that started right before the pandemic, I think. Yes. And it has been such a wonderful thing and has really made me think a lot about mutual support when it comes to leadership. That you know, we're fairly small organizations when you compare us to nonprofits in the broader world. We're tiny and we yeah. need all the support we can get. So that group is not a financial support group, but our fellow organizations are an important part of our support network. Yeah. So if quilters are listening right now and they think, well, I want to meet Amy in person or I want to talk more about Quilters Alliance in person, what are some of the shows or events coming up that they can meet you? Yes, we will be at QuiltCon and we'll be, as I said, in the uh, sandwich between the Aliso booth. And of course, Brandy, you'll be there too. We're going to share the story space in the middle yeah. And if folks want to sign up, they will give you the URL. It's quiltalliance.org slash quiltcon2024. Okay. Um, we'll have information there both about volunteering, but mainly about scheduling yourself for a time slot for sharing a quilt and a story. And let's see, we will be on textile talks every six weeks or so, but you can also reach out and... Um, um, connect with us on social media. You can email me at amy.milne at quiltalliance.org. I'm always happy to hear from folks in our community. And if you're interested in, in volunteering, that's a good first step. You can also email my colleague, Emma Parker at qsos at quiltalliance.org. And she can give you some information about current opportunities and our podcast is relaunching. I think it's on January 16th is our first episode of the year, season four. The first episode is about the Industrial Revolution. The guest is Rachel Maines, and it's part of the series about quilts and technology. 
Ah, that sounds really good. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the projects Quilt Alliance has been involved in over the years after the break. But is there a quilt project or interview that's been most memorable for you? I can think of many individual ones, but I think maybe even more powerful is just the category, which is people talking about quilts that have been either a memorial to someone or a celebration, or maybe the act of making the quilt was a memorial because quilts can really fill that role of comfort, you know, of remembering someone. And there are many, many interviews in the collection that talk about quilts as comfort and memorial. Yeah. With your role as executive director in this organization, what brings you joy? I think getting to be the first audience. You know, I love hearing stories. This is just, you know, this is me before the Quilt Alliance and me now just being like, (laughs) I just love it. I'm, my ears are always open and I love the opportunity here from so many different people in my job. Um, you know, the the administrative part maybe can be kind of a slog sometimes, but it's that regular access to hearing people's stories fresh out of their hearts and minds. Yeah. That's thrilling. That just might be my favorite part as well of this podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah. so right now we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back... We're going to talk all about the Quilt Alliance projects, events, and programs. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out the So Yeah Quilting website or pop into their store live in Las Vegas. Tell them you heard it on the Quilter on Fire podcast. And if you're thinking, but I'm Canadian, no worries. They have $20 flat rate shipping to Canada. And anything you purchase at their store with the link in the show notes benefits them and benefits this podcast at no extra cost to you. You'll get the supplies you need, and it's a great way to support this podcast. If you love listening to this free podcast, please support our sponsors. Do you own a Quilty Biz? The Quilter on Fire podcast has gone from 1,000 to over 5,000 downloads per week over the last year. And there was also that one that hit 20,000, remember Tula Pink? If you advertise anywhere, why not consider a podcast ad? Quilter on Fire podcast ads bring great value and they're not just here and gone. The ad stays up for the life of the podcast. Drop me a quick message or email me at brandy at quilteronfire.com to get your quilty business into the ears of thousands of quilters today. And we are back with Amy Milne of the Quilt Alliance. So let's start by talking about the projects. So first things first, let's talk about the Running Stitch of QSOS podcast. So I love to share podcasts with other quilters. And you just mentioned briefly that it's starting up in January. So tell us a little bit about how long that's been going on and what's coming in the future. Yeah, so we started the podcast, what, two years ago? I'm not sure the exact date, but we started it because we were moving the interviews. We're digitizing all the interviews from the original cassettes, I think 750 roughly of the project. So a little bit more than half were on cassette. So we're starting this project and we're in the process going through and really reacquainting ourselves as a team with all these interviews and realizing oh my goodness, this collection is so vast and so valuable. How are we ever going to underscore and help create a bridge for people to the collection? You know, how do you do that? How do you 
Well, social media is one great way, but that's not enough. We wanted to go deeper and we still were working with and just uh, enjoying the work of our colleague, Yannickan Smucker, who is a professor at Westchester University, professor of history. And she was president of the Quilt Alliance board for several years and had been on the board when I came on in 2006 when she was a graduate student. So she had this great history. She knows the project well. She has worked on all the, uh, either as a volunteer, as a board member, or now as a colleague, as the host of the podcast. She's, She's known the project from the back, from the technical end to the front, being an interviewer and being interviewed herself. So she was a perfect person to sort of throw ideas around how do we do this? How do we re-engage our audience and um, and pre- represent the uh, project? And she had been wanting to do a podcast for quite some time. So it was perfect synergy moment. And she agreed to do it. And we got the funding generously through the Robert and Artist James Foundation. And so we said, well, you know, what would be really cool is if we could re-interview some of the folks who'd been interviewed by QSOS or in some cases go tell it um, if it was a more recent because QSOS is it started in 1999. It's quite a you know it's 25 this year. So many of the um, folks who were interviewed for that project have passed away and we can't re-interview them. Um, yeah. So we organized the seasons into themes. So um, the first episode is more based on sort of questions that are at a part of the stock list of questions or topics for QSOS. So activism, quilting during difficult times, quilts and civil rights, quilting amid crisis, um, that th- sort of roughly follow questions from the collection. So that was the first season. And then the second season, we had more specific topics like that, but not an overarching theme. And then we started doing the third season is quilting uh, interviews with younger generation quilters. Yannickan did some incredible interviews, but always we're, she's using clips from the QSOS collection. So even if she's interviewing someone like Zach Foster, episode three of season three, you know, he's not been on the quilting scene for that long, 10 years, something like that. And he has just been interviewed for QSOS, but there are many things that he talks about um, in terms of community, in terms of words and quilts and reuse as a as a larger umbrella topic that other people talked about in the QSOS collection. Mm-hmm. So we were able to go through and Yannickan was able to go through and as a team search, use search words to find reuse or to find messages in quilts and then go back and grab those excerpts and use them as a part of the podcast collage. So what a cool tool a podcast is to make this audio quilt that, you know, Yannickan's able to piece together new interviews with historic content. It's just been a great way to to get attention to uh, refer back to the original, but also the current, you know, issues that quilters are addressing now. Uh, As I said, this coming season is about quilts and technology. 
And, um, you know, it's really going to run the gamut between using technology like machines, long arm machines versus thinking about history in a new way as a window onto that history. So I'm excited about it. And I think that anyone who is a connoisseur of podcasts would appreciate, you know, a podcast that is well-crafted as yours is. I mean, we have worked really hard to prepare for this. I love to research my guests and I research the organizations and I like to delight you with the questions as well. So it's a really fun, natural conversation. So if people are listening right now and they're thinking, I want to listen to this podcast as well, where can they find it? Yes. Anywhere you listen, get your podcasts and the quiltalliance.org slash running stitch. You can listen on our website, but also many of them are on YouTube. And we've done a couple of the episodes as textile talks too. Mm-hmm. So you can find them there. Oh, fun. Okay. And if you're listening right now, you may have recognized a few of the names that Amy mentioned. Zach Foster, of course, we had him on this podcast for episode 139. You can go and check that out. And then also I had five of the six know-it-alls on the podcast way back in 2021, I believe. And that was episode 71. So you can go and search that out as well. You can always Google those episode numbers and you'll find them for sure. And it's so great because different podcasts share different parts of stories. Some are short and sweet. Some are lighthearted. Some are deep and heavy. You know, there's so many different types of podcasts out there. So it's delightful when I can share other podcasts on this podcast. But I want to dive into some of the other projects that you do with the Quilt Alliance. So you have the 25th anniversary of QSOS. Is that coming up or has that just happened? That's coming up. That's this year. We celebrated our 30th anniversary as an organization in 2023. 2024 is our 25th anniversary of the QSOS project. Yeah, so that's going to be great. And so what are you guys going to do to celebrate that? Well, we are going to do a lot of live uh, QSOSs via textile talk. So you can tune into that schedule on our website. Just go to our quiltalliance.org and look for textile talks. And the first one coming up is, you're going to miss it because of the air date of this podcast, but you will absolutely be able to listen to the recording at that point, which is a QSOS interview with Susan Hudson, who will be interviewed by Teresa Durier-Wong. And I think I'm so excited about that as the start to our Textile Talks year, because it is the year of QSOS celebration. And... Teresa is such a good interviewer, and Susan is just a profoundly interesting artist and person. She yeah. deeply cares about the story, not only the story of her life as a quilter, but of her heritage and her community and their story when it comes to quilting and art and, you know, being in our culture and and she does not shy away from the intensity of that subject nor do we have any intention of editing her story we don't do that you know we really are so honored when someone like Susan whose work is very honest and full spectrum uh in what she shares in her artwork is willing to talk about it so i think that It's also a nice way to start our Community Quilt Days series with documenting and archiving the stories of Native American quilters. Um, Susan is Navajo and is 
uh, a part of the Navajo Quilters Project, but also is just a real leader inside and outside her community. So that's exciting. So QSOS interviews. Also, this is the year that we are going to invite user submission to resume. We have for a long time been really focused on that back-end transition of moving that collection over to the new website, which is qsos.quiltalliance.org. So separate website, but it's linked to our main website, but that's where you'll find them. And, you know, as I said, it's a lot of work to do this indexing so that you not only bring the recording over, but the transcript and the index, the keywords, the Library of Congress subject headings. It's a very specific kind of data entry and organization. And anyone who's a podcast or repository or digital humanities person will really appreciate it, but maybe it's not so obvious to the rest of the community and the rest of the world. So now we feel ready to start inviting folks to do the interviews themselves. And what that means is if you're a part of a group or you're just in community with yourself, your friends, uh, your family, and you want to interview someone, you'll be able to do it. And we'll have a list of uh, updated sort of topics, some questions, but really we're trying to open that up so that the interview process maybe is a little more organic and a little bit more um, empowering for the interviewer to uh, get that story of an individual quilter down. And uh, we'll have new um, guidelines for how they would submit the recording, which you'll be able to do with your phone. You know, it's not high tech. Anybody with a smart device can record it and upload it. And then how that interview will make its way to the collection and to the website and to, you know, to be able to share it. But I think that's going to be, it's going to happen slowly so that we can really help people with the tech part of it. But it's the perfect project for a guild. So is Go Tell It. It's a great way for if you're like in a guild and you're the history person in the guild, a lot of guilds have that as a officer, part of the um, board. It's a great tool for capturing that history. Um, So that's so exciting to think that we're back to that point of really returning it to grassroots, because at this point we're doing staff and volunteers and board members are doing a lot of the interviews. Okay, so let's move on from the projects to some of your events and programs. So let's start with Community Quilt Days. Yes, so the Community Quilt Days is now on a path for doing these larger projects that are grant funded, but any community can do a Community Quilt Day. We have a resource booklet that we will share. All you have to do is email amy.milne at quiltalliance.org or information at quiltalliance.org and say, look, my community wants to do this. How do we do it? And we have a guide that talks about ways to set up for go tell it videotaping, um, how to photograph, how to do a sign up sheet so that you can kind of organize your day. And that's really the secret sauce is organizing it in advance and having a venue partner, a library, a community center. Most of the ones we did in Appalachia were in libraries or community centers. You know, those were the places that we found easiest to organize. And also they're great partners because they know their communities and they're another uh, great conduit for getting the word out. 
Yeah, these so, are great resources available so you don't have to go out and reinvent the wheel, right? Right. And and when I actually went to Quilt Market this year, thanks to the support of Moda, I had a booth at Quilt Market in the Moda Village. And my message was to quilt shops. Quilt shop owners can do community quilt days. And it's a great way for them to bring in not only quilters who want to share quilts and talk out and document them, but people that own quilts who are not yet quilters. But if they, if you invite them to come into your shop and share a, a family quilt or a quilt that you've inherited or bought or ended up with, maybe they will become quilters. So, you know, it's kind of like we're trying to, um, with Community Quilt Days, think really broadly and really pass on the information that folks need to do yeah. that kind of a outreach event. Okay, that sounds really good. Now, we have briefly touched on textile talks, but if people don't want to miss out on a textile talk, tell us a little bit more about that. Right. So textile talks can be, you can register for these free every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time talks on any one of the partners' websites, quiltalliance.org slash textile talks is the URL for ours. We post on our Instagram and Facebook pages the links for registering. They're all delivered via Zoom and they are so broad too. It's not just quilts, it's fiber because our one of our partners is Surface Design Association. They have a really broad fiber community that's not just quilters. So you get to hear, you know, lectures on basket making all the way to mushroom dyed fabric to, you know, politically or civil rights motivated quilts or quilts made, you know, Baltimore album uh, aficionados and researchers. It really is a broad, broad topic spectrum. And they're always engaging. And we've built a really nice international community too. We're getting audience members from all over the world. And the nice thing too, is they're all recorded. So um, you can go to any one of our partner YouTube channels and find the full playlist of these. And we will be starting our fourth year. Yeah. And I love like when I'm traveling, or tra instead of downloading something off Netflix, I will go into the archive of textile talks and I'll try to yeah. find a creator that I love and look at that when I'm stuck at an airport. So. Oh, cool. I'm glad yeah, to so know you're you're doing that. Yeah. And there's one more. Sometimes there's like three artists in one. They're all different, right? So yeah. they've been really good. Another program that you have done over time is Quilters Take Manhattan, which has uh -huh. changed to Quilters Take a Moment. So tell us about that a bit. So Quilters Take Manhattan started in 2011, I think, and we would all gather at the Fashion Institute of Technology. They have a great hall and we hold a, we held an amazing event Moda has sponsored, um, RFL has sponsored for many, many years and helped us put it on. And it would involve a Broadway outing, museum visits. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. And we just all looked forward to it. And then it just became very, uh, the, the cost benefit was really challenging because it's expensive to do things in New York. And we took a year off right before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit. So the year, the 2020, we had, we were in motion to have, to return to Manhattan. We were going to do an exhibit as part of it. It was going to be much bigger. And then everything stopped. So we 
did the famous pivot and we turned it into Quilters Take a Moment, which we really all needed a moment. And that year was really special because it, you know, it reiterated the fact that it's about the people, no matter how, it's not about the place necessarily. It's about our connections. It's about our love, shared love of quilts and our friendships. And so that format, which was demonstrations of our projects, we'd do an interview, we would do um, a demo of Go Tell It, several people doing Go Tell It's on stage, and we'd do a QSOS interview with someone well-known. And that person would then um, also alternately give a lecture as part of the event. So we transitioned that to a virtual format. And this last year, we turned again in and sort of refocused on an educational focus. So the whole theme for this past year was documentation skills, resources. Mm-hmm. We had the photographer and stylist who are a husband-wife uh, duo who are the photographer and stylist for Quilt Folk magazine. Um, Azure and Trevor Holloway were two of the speakers and they talked about how to best photograph your quilts. Mm-hmm. Meg Cox talked about quilt photography. And then we had writers like Francis O'Rourke Dow talk about writing. And we had Heidi Parks talk about, you know, writing an artist statement. So it was very much geared towards documentation. We had some great speakers about quilt labeling too. Yeah, those sound like brilliant speakers. And of course, I've had Heidi on the podcast just recently, episode 140. And your episode is going to be 147. So not too long ago, I had Heidi. And actually, one thing about that, it's interesting that she talked about, you know, how to write your artist statement, because I literally read her artist statement off her website, because I just loved it so much. And she was thrilled, because that's what she teaches. So I was like, this is so brilliant. I just have to read it verbatim. It was really, really good conversation. It's so visual. And she talks about that, you know, really making it illustrative. And yeah. And colorful, so and it, it is. Yeah, so good. Okay, before we get into the lightning round, Robin, I want to chat about the Share Your Quilt Outside campaign for National yeah. Quilting Day. So how are you involved in that? Yeah, that's coming up. I was just going to see what the actual date of uh, National Quilting Day. It is the 16th, March okay. 16th uh, this year. So National Quilting Day was started by NQA, National Quilting Association. And as they closed... A number of years ago, they sort of gave it as a gift to the Quilt Alliance to carry forward. And it originally was a way to celebrate, you know, amongst the non-quilting world, celebrate quilting and maybe uh, draw some new folks into our community. Um, But the National Quilting Association had a lot of ideas of projects you could do. You could present uh, the first baby in your community born on National Quilting Day with a quilt. I thought that was a really sweet one. Um, You could do a project with your guild. And a lot of guilds and groups and communities still do that. You know, they have a demonstration on National Quilting Day or they um, get together as a group to sew. And in... 2020, we were all set. I think it was 2020. Yeah, it was right after we were going to have an event at the National Quilt Museum. We had the year before had an event there and we were going to interview someone this time. And of course, that did not come to plan. And so 
that year, people said, you know what? I'm going to put a quilt outside. My neighborhood really needs something pretty to look at right now. And people started just, there was a woman in Canada, actually, I think, who started it. And she posted on her Instagram um, her plan to do so and influenced one person and then another person. And it was, you know, it really spread. And it's beautiful. I thought it was such a beautiful thing. And so we started doing it. And then we said, hey, post a picture of your quilt that you're hanging outside on National Quilting Day and tag it uh, National Quilting Day. And then we started sharing them uh, as they were coming in. But I was seeing quilts with snow. I was seeing quilts with palm trees, seeing quilts on people's homes. And it made me emotional at the time to really think about the meaning of that, of was like a flag sort of in a way, but also just about comfort and beauty and hope, keeping everybody going and connected at a time when it was really needed. And now it's just a beautiful way to capture that. And where I live, you know, in North Carolina, it's already nice and sunny by then. It was, it's always windy. So everything I put out always gets flapped around and, and uh, moved around, but I have several uh, sort of traditions now that I've developed that I've been trying to post about on National Quilting Day, which is not only put that quilt outside, but put a little sign out there yeah. with a QR code that takes someone to a video about that quilt. So yeah. here's how it could be a full circle loop. You do a video about the quilt, you upload it to us, we upload it to YouTube, or you do it yourself. And you put a little sign with a QR code so your neighborhood sees your quilt. They can watch the video and it's full circle. And then you put the QR code on the label on the quilt. And that's really full circle. Yeah. But um, I think uh, if you go to uh, social media and look up hashtag National Quilting Day, you'll see some amazing, some of these photos from past years. It's so sweet. Yeah. And I have been involved in National Quilting Day once by just putting all of my quilts out. And it was kind of the back of my house. So I thought, is anyone even going to see these? I put probably six or eight quilts all the way around my entire balcony. But you wouldn't believe how many of my neighbors just walked right over. What's this quilt about? What's that quilt about? Why are you hanging quilts? What's going on? You know, and it was just really nice to have a conversation with them when otherwise we would have just been in our homes and maybe not connecting that day. So um, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun and people got to sort of see, oh, this is what she's talking about all the time when she's talking about quilting all the time. (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. so we have talked about how much the membership has evolved over time. It's $30 and it it now involves the block of the month club that you can be involved in. It also includes that quilters take a moment. So that's really great. So let's just reiterate what's coming up at QuiltCon. So we're going to have a place to share quilters stories. So the yes. Quilt Alliance will be doing the stories. I will be doing podcasting as well as usual. Um, but tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Yes. So folks will be able to sign up to bring a quilt to our booth and do a go tell it interview, which is a three minute or less video. We may do some QSOS, but probably not many because of the nature of how, you know, the noise factor there and the length of those interviews. But we are going to be reprising our labeling lounge format that we did last year. So we will have free labels, quilt labels, thanks to Spoonflower and Moda. Um, We have labeling yardage that Moda sells to its customers as a part of their regular yardage line. 
and we'll have a postcard about sort of simple labeling tips with a label on it. And we'll also have some special gifties for our members to come by and see us. Typically, we will have examples of quilts that are labeled and unlabeled because I think it's important to remind to just have a physical reminder of look at this jaw-dropping quilt that we know absolutely nothing about. Yeah. And how sad is that? And yeah. how how could that be different? You know, I mean, it's sort of like the uh, red and white infinite variety show that the um, American Folk Art Museum did in, uh, in New York City. They so cleverly had a ring at the very center of this dramatic exhibition of empty chairs with quilts draped over them. And it was so emotive to see because about, I think they said about two-thirds of those quilts in that exhibition, I think there were 600 quilts, were anonymous. Wow. And it just reminds you that empty chair. There was somebody that made that quilt. And we don't know anything about them. And they're gone now. Yeah, so, so true. Yeah. We need to label our quilts. And yeah. so if you want to come and see us at QuiltCon, you can't miss the booth. It's the Oliso booth. So you'll find right. Amy there. You'll find me there. We'll be taking yep. turns doing interviews. It will be so much fun. So please come on over and check it out. Yeah. You can join at the show or you okay. can find out how to volunteer at the show. So come find us and we'll have our Quilt Alliance t-shirts on when we're out and about. So you can also grab us if you see us wandering around. Okay, that sounds really good. Okay, so now it's time for the lightning round, Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions and it's super fun. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, Amy, what is your favorite tool or notion? Mm, I think the pen, the one that we use and given our labeling quilts is the Pigma Micron pen. So, okay. you know, gotta label it, need a pen. Okay, do you and your team have any kind of personal reward system for getting things done? Oh, I think we just encourage each other. But my my, if if you've ever worked for a nonprofit, you'll find this funny. At the end of uh, at most of our meetings, I say thank you for not quitting, <laughs> because <laughs> it's just to, to remind them that I know how hard this job is and how little the compensation is. Just yeah, thank you for not quitting. <laughs> okay, has there been a mentor who's really influenced you along the way? Yes, uh, two that I can name, but so many. But uh, the late Yvonne Porcella was, a, you know, the founder of the Studio Art Quilt Associates, or yeah. Sakwa, was an incredible mentor to me, so warm and uh, encouraging and smart. And the late Alan Jabour, who was the founder of the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress, who was president of the board when I started, just an incredible person and musician and teacher. Uh-huh. Okay. And what are some of your favorite collections of things? Well, the QSOS collection and the Gotelic collection, of course, endless inspiration and uh, entertainment. And my own personal collection, I own all of my grandmother's sewing notions. Oh, and uh, I was the one who ended up with those. And so I have all these original zippers in their packaging. So it's like, my love for packaging and graphic design and, you know, notions. Oh, I have that same love. I have my grandmother's, not all of her sewing notions, but I have her ironing board. And so what I really love about this ironing board is the layers and layers over the years. She just kept adding wool. 
to it. And so it's really thick and firm and I just love it. I, I'll never get rid of it. It's dirty uh, and well used, but I just love it just the way it is. Yeah, so what a I treasure. Yeah, it is such a treasure. Okay. And well, let's just hop back for a second and talk about huh? the archive because where can people find that? Yes. Yeah, so they can find the QSOS archive, the, the majority of the collection, and it's almost fully transitioned, is qsos.quiltalliance.org. Okay. So that's the website for the project archive, but you can also get to it from our main website. Okay. And do you have any furry friends in your studio? Oh my goodness. Uh, I have Fraser Duane and Audrey Madison are our cats and they are forever interrupting Zoom calls and meetings. <laughs> but it's such a comfort and a joy. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah. so let's end the lightning round, Robin, with a question about your dream. So what is one dream we can put out to the world that you'd love to have happen for the Quilt Alliance? Yeah. Well, just more people in the Alliance. And I don't just mean members, but I also mean people who know about our work, participate in our work, value our work. So a practical way of doing that, I'd like to see us have more guild members, uh, guilds that join as a group, because then we've got that, you know, wholesale opportunity versus individuals. We love our individual members, but the more guilds and groups that support us and and participate with us, I think the more quicker we'll grow and and reach that vision. Okay, so thank you so much for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was super fun. I hope you found it fun as well. I did. So I've mentioned your website at quiltalliance.org where we can find everything that we talked about today, but where's the best place for quilters to connect with Quilt Alliance on social media? That is our Quilt Alliance, at Quilt Alliance across all mediums. So you can find us everywhere from Instagram to Facebook to Twitter to TikTok. And we are quick to respond. So please send us a message that way. And of course, you can always email us through the website and amy.milnetquiltalliance.org. Okay, so at Quilt Alliance, everywhere on the socials and on YouTube, of course. Yep. Now, as we wrap up, Amy, what do you want listeners to take away most from our conversation today? I think that it applies to you. <laughs> this is about you. If you own a quilt, this applies to you. If you love a quilt, this applies to you. You don't have to be a maker. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are makers. I'd, I'd be willing to guess the majority of them are. But I bet there are a lot of people who just love quilts, love the idea of it. And this applies to you. And you don't have to have the best equipment or be a professional audio person or documentarian to do this work. You can use a scrap of cotton fabric and a Sharpie. If that's all you have, you can write down what you know about a quilt and whip stitch it that label onto your quilt. There is no wrong way to do this. Yeah. And such great advice. It's so important to keep that history intact. You know the quilts will outlive all of us, right? So it's yeah. so nice. Like I just, the reason I think that this topic and this organization is so important is that I have those quilts from my great grandmother. And even though I have some tidbits about them from family, and sometimes there's a last name in a year, I really wish I had way more information. I wish that I knew all of the friends she was, you know, making the quilts oh. for. And, you know, I wish I knew all the history. So I just think that's such a great way to end the podcast. 
Yes, it's so important. And there's nothing like regret to fuel your, you know, message. Luckily, you've got a lot of information, but it so quickly fades away. It's so important to act on it now. Yeah. Amy Milne, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your story and the story of Quilt Alliance today. Oh, thank you, Brandy. Your work is so important. Really appreciate you including us. So that was my show with Amy Milne, Executive Director of the Quilt Alliance. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I am all about sharing quilters' stories. So that is the thing for sure that delights me most about this organization. Not only did they form and start collecting and sharing this important history in the early 90s, they have continued over the years to develop projects and partnerships that document, preserve, and share the stories of quilt makers in the USA and around the world. If this is the first time you've heard of the Quilt Alliance, I suggest you check out their website to explore the projects, events, and programs that they run to see how you can get involved. And if you're coming to QuiltCon, be sure to stop by the Oliso Irons booth. I'll be podcasting there as usual, but this year Quilt Alliance will be there as well, recording quilters' stories for the entire show. The Japan Textile Tour with the Quilter on Fire is a go. Travelers are now booking their flights and we start our tour from Tokyo to Kyoto on May 19th, 2024. There are a few spots left, so if you need to check Japan off your bucket list, call Judy from Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767 to book your trip today. I'm going back to London. My annual trip to the Festival of Quilts Birmingham is so much fun. Grab a friend and book your summer holiday with me. And even if you are a lone traveler, I know this itinerary inside out so you can relax and enjoy while every moment is planned with the quilter in mind. This is such a wonderful sightseeing holiday to England and Wales, ending with the Festival of Quilts. And I'd love to have you join me July 23rd to August 3rd. Book your spot today by calling Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys, 1-877-235-3767. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.